Sam. Um, if you would turn your copy of God's Word to First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, First Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles available in the foyer. If you don't have your own Bible, you're welcome to bring it with you. You can use your phone app um, as you turn to follow along there. I like to have it open because we get to underline and circle and highlight things that are important that the Lord brings out to us as we look in this word together. 1 Corinthians 12, and today we'll be looking at verses 12 through 31. Would you please stand for the honoring of God's word as this read? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require." But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a still more excellent way. This is God's word. May I add his blessing to the reading of it. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that though you are unsearchable, God, that we're never going to come to the end of you. Father, we'd never know you unless you revealed yourself to us, that you have revealed yourself to us, and so we can worship. And so, Father, as we come to your word, would you humble our hearts, teach our minds. Father, help us to see your will and your call upon our lives and upon our congregation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes it is possible to be sick, but not to know that you are sick. I remember a friend um, from a while ago, and she was in a car accident, and she had to be hospitalized after this car accident. And with all the tests they were doing and her slow recovery, they realized that something else was wrong, and so they tested her body, and they realized that she had cancer. 
And so she was sick, but unless she'd gone to the hospital that day, she wouldn't have caught it as early as she did. And because she was there, they were able to get it treated, and they were able to get a jump on it. They were able to take care of it, even if she didn't know that she was sick. Well, this last week, my family had a similar experience. Uh, COVID kind of went through a good chunk of our family. Um, Thankfully, because of the vaccine, um, I'm free and clear. That's one of the reasons I got it is I didn't want to be held back. What I did in the future, I remember going and um, the doctor saying, oh, you know, others who haven't been vaccinated, they have to quarantine, but you don't have to. I said, yes, that's why I did it. So um, I was even tested though, just to be sure. And it did work. So if I do cough, it really is allergies. But um, like many of you, COVID just kind of crept in and it crept in uh, thinking that it was allergies. A couple doctors have, have told us, they said, well, that's one of the reasons it's spreading is because people think it's allergies. And it looks like allergies. It really was just like allergies. And, um, and that's what we thought we were dealing with, uh, with all this pollen, this falling, and all that stuff. Anyways, we were sick, but we didn't know that we were. Well, churches can get sick also, and sometimes they don't even know it. The church in Corinth had a sickness that was inside of it, and some people knew that there was a sickness that was in it, but, but other people were ignoring it. They were ignoring the fact they were sick. Now, if you've been with us over the last year, um, you'll remember that we've gone through the book of 1 Corinthians, and you might ask, well, what sickness are we dealing with this time? Because there are so many, right? I mean, there's ones of factions and divisions. There's immorality, which is uh, pulling the church apart. Uh, There are lawsuits against one another. There's a lack of respect. There's a disregard to church and societal norms, Um, there's a failure to care for one another, even the poor that are among them. And, and, and then in these chapters, chapters 12 through 14, we're seeing how their lack of care for one another in the realm of spiritual gifts and the conflict that that is creating among them. Now remember 1 Corinthians, we call it a book, but it's really a letter. It was a letter that was written from the Apostle Paul, written to the church in Corinth, and addresses all these issues, um, addresses them one by one. Um, he started the church three years before he wrote this letter, and a number of these things had come up, and it was just time to deal with them. Um, but all of them, all put together, really show this sense of, of, of individualism, which was a part of their church. It wasn't that they were all individuals. Of course, they were all individuals. But there was such a priority for them of, of I have this gift, and, and this is who I follow, and this is who I am, and this is my identity, is that they were failing to really see how Jesus Christ had designed the church. They saw the church as just a bunch of disconnected people coming together to do something, but maybe going back to go doing it later, uh, just to go and do their own thing later. And so as a result, there was this division between those who have it and those who don't. And because of that, large groups were being marginalized, there was division, and the church was ineffective in their ministry of sharing the gospel. But Paul writes this then in order to help them to think differently about the church. Instead of a collection of individuals that come together, what he wants them to see themselves as is a single body, as a single body connected to one another through Jesus. So you see that word, he uses it in verse 12, the word body, and he uses it to describe what the church is. And in using the word body, he stresses our interconnectedness. It's the stress of that community together. We'll see a few things, just as by way of introduction, verses 12 through 14, um, about, uh, about the church. Verse 12, 
we see that there is one body in Jesus Christ. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So what he does is he uses the body as a metaphor to explain the church. And so, you know, you can see my fingers, my hands, my arms, and legs, and all that, those things. And, you know, they're all, yeah, I mean, they're fingers and toes, but they're a part of my body. It's all my body together. So he's using that simple illustration to describe the united wholeness of the body of Christ together, functioning together in life, functioning together in ministry, functioning together for the outreach of the gospel together. Now, how does that body come together? We see that in verse 13. The Holy Spirit brings us into that body. He says, for in one spirit we're all baptized, meaning brought into or identified with, um, we're baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. He does this glorious vision that all these different people from different uh, racial backgrounds and, and different um, economic backgrounds, they come together to form one new identity. And that's the body of Christ. It's an amazing thing that God has brought people of differences and different backgrounds to do one thing and to be one thing together. In verse 12, he goes on to show that every part of that body is important to the whole body. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. So every part is important. That the unity um, of the whole is, is, gives a kind of a shelter for all the others to use their gifts within. You know, the, every individual part is important to the whole. It's a country we talk about e pluribus unum, out of many one. We have many states um, that have, make up one nation. And we can't imagine our nation without those 50 states of being a part of that nation. So it is with the church that we have many who, be, who are part of the one. Now, you and I want a healthy physical body. You know, we do better when we are healthy, don't we? Well, we also want a healthy church body. When church bodies are not healthy, it spiritually affects us, maybe even emotionally affects us. Um, we also affects our mission. The church is not healthy. Um, we fail to share the gospel in the world as we should. Now, the problem inside the church is, is in their pride, their individualism, and their pride in their failure of seeing how they need other people. Uh, some were so focused on the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues that it had become a dominant force in their worship service. Now, speaking in tongues was a supernatural and spiritual language which was given to the early church to authenticate the message they were sharing. But it was being misused inside of the church and their, in their services. It was just being highlighted to such an effect that others were being drowned out. Other gifts were being sidelined, um, and it was bleeding over even into church life. They were so focused on this one issue, they forgot the diverse gifts of God inside the body of Christ. Now, we don't believe that tongues are still given today. It was for the first century church. I mean, we have something that is better. We have a completed Bible. You know, it is given to us. So we have all of God's will, which is set aside for us here. We don't need those things. But we know that some things can still affect us. You know, we can get so focused on ourselves, so focused on what we want or what we have or what we bring, that we forget others and we forget others around us. And so, if we look to this healthy church body, you know, we, need, we see the need of the involvement of all of the parts. So, that's what we're going to look at today. What does he talk about here, the involvement of each part 
in a healthy body. So we want to look at three things about our health and from this passage. And the first thing we want to see is the way that we value one another. A healthy church is seen by people who value one another and, and even the way they value their own gifts. Um, it's interesting that he jumps in right with this illustration and talking about the human body in a way. Um, and he starts with how we think of ourselves in light of that body and how we think of ourselves. It matters a whole lot. Wrong thinking about ourselves not only tears us down, but it also puts up our own barriers to using our gifts for the benefit of others, and it deprives others the benefit of our gifts that we have. Look what he says in verse 15 and 16. He says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, I don't know uh, what you would do if you heard this hypothetical conversation going in within the, the, the parts of your body, if you heard the foot actually saying that. I mean, I think I'd say, stop. You know, we don't need to hear that. You're dragging us all down, and you have your job to do. I'd say, Mr. Foot, you are so important. I wouldn't even be standing here if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't be able to ride a bike or walk or get where I needed to go um, or drive, even drive a car, unless you were part of my life. And I think I'd say, so stop moping, stop sitting there limply, and just get to work. You're holding us back, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting us in the way that you're moping together in this, um, today. Now, just because the foot says something, it doesn't make it true, right? And the same thing with the ear. You shouldn't think that just because it's not an eye, it doesn't mean it's not a part of the body. Now, it sounds funny, and I think the Apostle Paul is being funny as he writes this passage. But, you know, when we get down on ourselves, don't we do the same thing? It's a good reminder for us that we need to pay attention to our emotions. Uh, Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. Yes, everyone. Philippians 4.8 says, think only on those things which are true and good and beautiful. You know, we have to inform our emotions about the truth of God's word. You know, our emotions may want to steer us whatever direction they want to go. We may not feel like we often have control over those, but we do have control over the things we feed our emotions with. We have the choice of what we let into our mind. We have the choice of the messages that we keep rehearsing over in our in in our brains, and we shouldn't let lies into them. We shouldn't rehearse them over and over. It's sad, it's sad to think that people think they don't have anything to offer the world or, or that you know, they're so scandalized by their past or by something that's happened that they don't have anything to offer the church when they do. There's other times people might use this way of thinking as an excuse not to take a risk or not to get involved. And such, they, they really block the grace of God rejecting the, work, the grace of God inside their life and how it could be benefit to themselves and to others inside the body of Christ. It's true that no Christian has a right to pull themselves out of the body of Christ, out of the fellowship of the saints, because if they do, they remove that gift, that thing that the church of Christ needs. It's the will of God for us to be part of the body of Christ as part of our obedience to him to do that. And even if it is a depression, you know, that's the sort of thinking that comes as a lie of the devil, I mean, the devil, the devil is called the accuser. It's a lie to think that you don't have value 
within the body of Christ? And, and, and why would you believe that sort of lie by repeating it to yourself? Why keep listening to it, Mr. Foote? I mean, the devil is a liar, and those things don't come from God. Other times, the devil may lie about our brothers and sisters in Christ. He might tell you, well, you don't really fit in. You're different than everybody else. You know, you don't really have a part in that. And the seductiveness of that lie is in the way that it's lying about your brothers and sisters in Christ and causing you to believe that. We don't listen to those things. The Bible is clear. We receive our gifts with thankfulness. We look at where we are in light of God's providence, the place he's put us, and then we get to work. Our, our feelings are secondary to the truth of the word of God. Especially young people. You know, I'm especially talking to you. I mean, God has made you the way that, that he wants you. Psalm 139 says that you are uh, knit together by God's own design. In Ephesians 2, 2.10, it says that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so there's a, you know, there's, there's a need to stop comparing yourself to others, to thank God how, how he has made you, who he's made you to be, and then take advantage of the gifts that are before you. And verse 17 gives us a right perspective then. The Apostle Paul, um, again, keeps on kind of with this, this absurdity, this, 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 this funny uh, line of thinking. He says this, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, that where would be the sense of smell? I mean, can you imagine the monstrosity of a person who is just one gigantic eye? In fact, we have a whole book series about it. It's called Sauron, right? In the Lord of the Rings, he's this one big evil eye which is looking everywhere, you know, to find where he can do harm in the, and of all the terrors in the world. Or can you imagine the, the horror of, of, of seeing here in the pulpit a six-foot-tall ear? My wife never would have married me, I don't think, if I was a six-foot-tall ear. Or to see a giant set of lips up here, right, just talking. Maybe you might say, well, where's his brain? You might know people like that. There's a giant set of lips, and <laughs> like, where's the brain there? You know, that reminds me of C.S. Lewis's book. He wrote a book called That Hideous Strength. I don't know if you've read that fiction book, but it's where like this evil person who's running um, his hideous empire is, is just a brain. You know, it shows what's missing. You know, it's missing heart, missing virtue, missing love, missing courage. It's this picture of him for one of his other books talking about men without chests, without that courage, vision, or love. And you consider what would be lost. You know, just if it was a gigantic eye, where would we hear you know, the gurgling of a baby or an orchestra or, or birds chirping outside? Did any of you lose the sense of smell or taste when you had COVID up over at the time? You know, you realize how important the sense of smell is. You know, I thought about this. Um, we, we have a little baby, and I'm always smelling that milk to be sure it wasn't put outside. You know, so that sense of smell keeps me from giving him something he doesn't need to get. You know, sense of smell has kept human beings through history from poisoning themselves. You know, so it's pretty important. All these little things that we have as part of our bodies. So God has built this church, which is full of diverse gifts, not this freakish monstrosity of one isolated gift. As is with the human body, so with the church. And we wouldn't want to lose those parts of the body. Even if we're not aware of them always, we certainly wouldn't want to lose them, would we? Verse 18 and 19 show how God has arranged the church. I think it's how he's optimized the church. We like optimization, don't we? 
We want everything to work just right. We want everything to work really fast. We don't want to wait. We want things smooth and efficient. Well, I don't know if the church is very efficient. I pray that we're effective in what we do. But, you know, as people, we are using our gifts effectively. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 18. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If each were a single member, where would the body be? Again, we might always think the church is optimized. We may see its inefficiencies, but we're reminded that God has put every person where he wants them. You're not here by accident. Your brother and sister in Christ is not here by accident. And that placement allows the church to operate and to be effective in the ministry of the gospel. In other words, no one single gift represents the body. No one spiritual gift can carry us all, even with preaching. You know, it might be the central place in the ministry of the church, but we need other gifts that sustain that. We need other gifts of mercy, gifts of helping, the gift of administration, the gift of the, the uh, other gifts of teaching. You know, so many things that go on. I think you know, one of the things we do during non-COVID times is every Sunday night we move the chairs out of the way, and through the week, you know, kids use the sanctuary and they play dodgeball and all their other kind of things. You know, and so it's a gift. I mean, it's a responsibility just to move them, but it's also a gift that you give to others because as people help and they do those sort of things, what happens over that week? You know, we have boys and girls who are able to hear the gospel. One of the hardest things about COVID is as people have, you know, kind of been distanced from one another, we haven't been able to meet as much. You know, not as many gifts have been able to use. And don't we lose so much of the, the heart of the body of Christ because people don't use their gifts, those gifts of mercy, of helping, of serving, and the wonder of, and the wonderful things they do. Just praise God as we see those things coming back. So all this shows an important part about our significance, about our identity. We find our significance, we find our identity by what we're a part of. Not just of what we are as individuals, but what is it that we're a part of? Michael Jordan, I think about him a lot because I use him as a lot of illustrations. He's not just a great player, I mean, he was really part of one of the greatest basketball teams ever, the Chicago Bulls. There's a lot of great NBA players that are out there, but how many of them have been part of great teams? I read a book recently called The Captain Class, and the point that the author makes is that, you know, just because you're a great player, that doesn't necessarily make a great team. In fact, um, the greatest teams that have been led have, are, that have ever existed are usually led by not the greatest player on the team. The greatest player usually isn't a good leader for them. They need someone else. For the Bulls, it was like Bill Cartwright or Scottie Pippen who really brought the team together to help them be successful. But because of that, you know, we know Michael Jordan. We don't remember him being on the Wizards, or if we do, we try to forget that part of his history. But when he was on the Bulls, it was great, being part of a great team. Now we're part of the body of Christ. That's something that shapes our, our self-understanding. We're no longer focused on ourselves as a foot, on a hand, an ear. It's, the most important thing is not what we are, but what we're a part of. We're part of the body of Christ. We might ask ourselves, you know, who am I? And our answer, at least part of it, should be I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body of Christ. It's something we repeat to ourselves. It's something we repeat to others. Just focusing on that and not ourselves, uh, that handles a lot of conflict within, within our, our nation, within our churches. It deals with a lot of the depression, a lot of the trouble with our own psychology, a lot of challenges within the body of Christ. 
We find better unity. We find better peace as our identities come under one. That's what Jesus Christ came to do is he made the many into one. That goes so much against the message of our world, doesn't it? Our world says, create your identity. Be who you want to be. But the Bible encourages us to find your identity in Christ. And so what about you? Do you value your own gifts as given to you from God? You know, even if they're different, you have a key part to play. Use, use your gifts for the building up of the body of Christ and God's glory. So we see the value we have for one another. The second thing we see is the care for we have of one another. Verses 21 through 26. So he's talking about how we view ourselves. Here he talks about how we treat others. It really is showing how much we need each other. Verse 21 says this, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Apparently some of the people in Corinth were either telling people or at least acting like they didn't need each other. And Paul shows that uh, this is just like one part of the body saying it, another part's not needed. And obviously that's not true. I had this, in your sidebars, in your bulletin, I had this uh, cute little statement by Joni Erickson Tata, but it, but, it, but it shows the case. You know, she says this. She said, the human body is probably the most amazing example of teamwork anywhere. Every part needs the other. When the stomach is hungry, the eyes spot the hamburger. The nose smell the onions. The feet run to the snack stand. The house, the, the hands doused the burger with mustard and shove it back in the mouth where it goes down the stomach. Now that is cooperation, right? To the satisfaction of the stomach and the delight of the taste buds. You know, that is the body working together. So we may not always see how we need each other, but we do. And it's wrong to dismiss. And it's dangerous to dismiss the gifts of others. So verses 22 and 23, he goes on to show that it's not the visibility that determines the value of a gift. Right? It's the value of the gift is that it comes from God. The function is important to the whole. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. So the Corinthians, they were emphasizing these very visible things. The most exciting of all the gifts and some of the hidden ones were the ones that were being treated as unimportant and marginalized, and that was wrong. The Apostle Paul shows them that the weaker parts are critically necessary to the functioning of the body. I like the way the message translation of the Bible puts it. It says this, it says, if you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer, prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? The point is, we see the value of all. If we're gonna have a fully functioning body, we need the parts, all of them, to be involved. And we need to see those parts that are more invisible and honor them. So if you look at verse 24 and 25, care within the body of Christ means using your gifting for others. He says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. Our presentable parts don't need honor. You know, we, we color our eyes, we brush our hair, um, you know, we use our hands and wash them. The presentable parts get their own honor. They can handle it, but it's a great blessing to honor the invisible parts. You know, as a, as a pastor, you know, I just have so much appreciation for those of you who serve quietly and, and silently. You know, just thank you for the way that you do that. We may not even recognize it. But what you do is so important 
to, to the functioning of the church. If those things were not in place, we wouldn't be able to continue on in our ministry and our calling. Over the last year, it's been especially true, just as we've had um, less people come and more needs um, that need to be fulfilled, and you've jumped in and you've done that. It's just been such a wonderful encouragement. It's also important as we think about home, uh, bring into our home, you know, or bring into our workplace. You know, husbands, you know, do you, you know, is, is your wives uh, serve you so wonderfully in, in your household? Do you point those things out and just say thank you? Wives, you know, when you see this, the silent service of, of your husbands, do you, do you respond and, and, and to say thank you? If you're an employer or a manager, do you, do you honor the people at your work? But within the body of Christ especially, we want to appreciate the people who, who serve us and just say thank you. Thank you for the things that you do. The question of all this is do we see the value that God puts into the gifts of other people? We may not always see it, but God sees it. He designed it. He put it there. And we want to see that and to care for others in it. In verse 26, he shows how we rise and fall together. He says, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And we suffer together. We rejoice with others. We're called to sympathy. We're called to compassion. You know, compassion means to suffer with somebody. And we suffer along with them. You know, that's how a body works, isn't it? Whenever you stub your toe, even your tiniest pinky little toe, guess what? Your whole body is useless for the next couple minutes, right? You know, somebody posted on Facebook recently, they said, the purpose of that little toe is to make sure all your furniture is in place. <laughs> and you've experienced that, right? You know, in the same way, if someone is suffering, it affects us all, and we need to care for the cause of that suffering, you know, then we need to stop what we're doing and to come along and help. It's the same thing with honor. If a person is, is blessed or does well, we want to rejoice Together, it's a sense of togetherness. Um, it's the body of Christ. Your accomplishments are things that we all get to rejoice with you in because we're bodied together. We have to pay attention. That's what it means. We have to pay attention. Who's suffering? Who's doing well? To build them up inside of it. That leads to our third point about a healthy church and a body to receive from one another. We've seen valuing and caring, but receiving. You know, we want to give to one another, we want to receive from one another. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It means as a body we are, the bo- it, it, together we're the body of Christ. Individually we're not, but together we are the body of Christ. And, and, and as a body comes together, you know, it's able to work as a seamless whole to, to do the mission that God has before it, the proclamation of the gospel into the world. If you think about the way that, it, that, that a body works, it has to work as that seamless whole. You know, a, a body that's going to run in the Olympics, maybe an Olympic sprinter. You think of all that goes into to, to winning that race. It's not just that they have the fastest legs. You know, I mean, there's muscles in that, those legs. There's, there's bones that are in the legs, and it's the core, you know, that has to be engaged. And the arms are engaged, and the eyes are focused towards, towards, towards the goal, and the mind is active towards accomplishing that. And even that little toe on the foot gives a sense of balance, so they can win the race. It's all together. That's what we need together as a body. Verses 28 through 30, the Apostle Paul describes a variety of different gifts. Points out that not all of them have the same ones. He said, God appointed to the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. 
Then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. They're different. Are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The Corinthians are so focused on this gift of speaking in tongues, it's absorbing the services, the worship services, because they're absorbing the flashiness of it. It's the one that made people notice. It commanded people's attention, partly by how strange that it was. It's communicated by a level of excitement. There's a, there's a level of intrigue. It was a visible gift because it made people wonder. When the Apostle Paul goes through the gifts, he puts tongues last. And what's important to him is the work of the apostles, the work of the prophets, the work of the teachers, and teaching and ministry the Word of God. These other things support that work. It's because God, in, in being his disciples, the disciples of Christ, God emphasizes truth over experience. They're focused on religious experiences, but God wanted them to focus on the word of God delivered by the apostles. So in verse 31, we see this encouragement to be helpful, not to be flashy. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The higher gifts may not have been as flashy or as exciting, but they were so important. The apostles were weak because of the way they were persecuted. The apostle Paul himself was suffered through stoning and imprisonment, and people would berate them and shame him. The prophets were persecuted for their work as well, and, and teachers may not have the flair of a tongue speaker, but they make a lifelong difference in the people that they teach. These all were able to bring the life-saving word of God to those who'd never heard the gospel People are turned away from judgment, from condemnation, and turned to Christ that they may have eternal life. There is power inside of that. And it's that message of the gospel, which is preached to the mind, to the heart, understandably, intelligibly, that makes the difference. The best gift for us to use is the one that we have. That's the one we want to use, the one that God has given to us. We need to use them and to use them well. They don't function automatically like they just come out, but they're things that we purposefully put into practice. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, 1 Timothy 4, 14. You know, our gifts can be neglected, just set aside. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 says this is the quenching of the Spirit. It's, it's the setting aside of the grace of God and throwing water on his work in your life. Now, in fact, instead of neglecting them, we can actually grow in them. 1 Timothy 1, 6, Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. You know, build it up. Use it. Develop it. You know, challenge yourself. Get out there and, and find a place where it can be used for the building up of the body of Christ. And this is the way that we care for Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, on the judgment seat, tells his disciples of all that they did for him, caring for him, ministering to him. But they're so unaware of what they did for him because they don't remember it being him. And Jesus says to them in verse 40, truly I say to you, as you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. The use of our gifts is a ministry unto Jesus Christ himself as we care for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Indeed, no one has loved you like Jesus has us. We're going to remember as we come to the Lord's Supper. He's redeemed you. 
His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, you have that promise of eternal life, but greater yet, he's brought you into a body. And he's brought you into that. And he says, hey, look at these others. Look how I've redeemed them and I've loved them and cared for them. Would you build them up as well? Don't be prideful. Don't look at your gift as everything, but work together with others in this ministry of the gospel to see that I would be known within this body and I would be known to the world. I pray that as you're here today that you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In his death upon the cross, he paid for your sin. In his resurrection from the, the, the grave, he gives you life because indeed he did not stay in the grave, but he was raised and he's raised that as you believe in him, your sins will be forgiven and be brought into the body of Christ. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me encourage you to receive him, to ask him to forgive your sins and to be your Lord and Savior and then know how he'll equip you and bring you into his body for the purpose that he created you and saved you to enjoy. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've made us into one body. You've united us to Christ, and in him, we become part of one another. Father, help our suffering be one another's suffering. Help our successes be one another's. Father, help us to see that our identity is in what we're part of, what you have done. Father, we need each other to fulfill the calling that we've been given. We need each other for the ministry of the gospel into the world, in the, in the discipling of each one of our lives that we'd become what you have called us to be. Help us to see our part. Help us to contribute to the whole. Father, help us by your grace to labor by your power. Father, and help us to do it all for the good of your church and your glorious name. We ask you, God, for these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Lord does invite us.